Greetings ladies and mental gents and welcome to this batch video for the web novel Out of Space taken from the website Royal Road. And as always I hope you enjoy the narration and if you do please consider supporting the channel. Chapter 293 The City of Sins Two days before the events of the ball. This is Outrider to 26. I have eyes on the ruins over. The radio buzzed. Tyria leaned over closer to the operator in the command truck and listened to the verbal exchange. 26, this is Hotel, operator smoothly replied. What's the situation? Over. 26, I got visual on multiple camps around the ruins. Looks like survivors. Over. Hotel, Roger, keep observing. Hotel out. Survivors, Tyria turned to Eagle Company's second lieutenant, Rathia, and said in a questioning tone. No surprises, I guess, Rathia replied. There are over fifteen to 20,000 people in that city. Even a guard can't eat everyone. This might complicate things for us, Tyria said. If they salvage any working tech, we cross that bridge when we get there, Sergeant. Rathia patted Tyria's shoulder. Why only have a single platoon and your section with us? Not counting the support staff, we barely have 50 people who can fight. Let's not poke a stinger nest, shall we? Rathia said. We assess the situation first before we decide what to do next. All right. Yes, sir, Terrier nodded. We should reach the city within an hour. Okay, get your men ready for anything, Rathia ordered. And no one fires unless attacked, clear? Yes, sir. The convoy of armed vehicles soon came up in sight of the tent city that sprung up around the ruins of the city. Scores of men and orcs armed with crude weapons appeared, jealously guarding their territory and eyeing the newcomers with suspicion and awe. The convoy came to a halt a good distance away from the tent city, and a half-dozen motorcycles linked up with the vehicles. What now? Daria climbed down from the top of the command truck, next to Rothia, who was observing their surroundings with a high-powered binoculars. I say there is about five, six thousand survivors, Rothia mentally counted the tents, at least half used to be slaves, can't hide the telltale scars of the different tan from their collars. Interesting, Terrier frowned as he watched the armed guards. Seems like they came to an agreement with the Orkins and freed themselves. I see at least four different groups here, Rathia gestured to one large group to the left of the ruins. There's one, red seemed to be their color. Terrier turned his binoculars towards the group Rathia pointed out. She saw dozens of clusters run down tents and crude shelters made out of salvage materials. Hundreds of red cloth strips splattering in the breeze all over the tents. The men had strips of red cloth tied to their arms or body as they brandished crude weaponry and strips of red cloth tied to their weapons. Most of the people in that group had red paint dabbed on their faces and exposed skin. Hmm, red seems to be their favorite color, Terea commented. Seems like each group has taken control of one of the four gates of the ruins, Rothia added. The nearest group to us looked like a ragtag band of beggars. On the west side, the Orkin camp is there, Rathia continued to report, and on the furthest, the southern end, a group looked more well-off. Looks like the leftovers of the merchants or rich people from the city. Tyria eyed the last group. They have a smallest number, but the guards are well-armed and armored compared to the rest. So, we have at least four factions here, Rathia lowered his binos. If we enter the city, most likely we will have to deal with either one of these factions. Looks like it's that case, Tyria sighed. It's going to be so troublesome. Well, I guess being desperate had them banding up, Rathia complied. Can't blame them for trying to survive here. Well, looks like we don't have a choice, Tyria said. We got some guests heading our way. Looks like we kicked a stinger's nest, Rathia chuckled. Everyone is coming to welcome us. 
The group with the better armed and armored guards sent a carriage with a couple skinny-looking land dragons that struggled to pull the carriage with its occupants towards the marines. The other factions seeing them sending a party all scrambled to dispatch their own party to welcome and find out who and what the visitors had come for. Other than the carriage, the Orkins rode the wind walls over while the rest ran over swiftly as they could on foot. The Orkins had been nearer the marines arrived first. A tall Orkin with his body skeletal-like wore the skull of some fearsome creature as a helm strolled up to the marines. Greetings, soft skin. Why you come? Cheria nudged Rathia from the side and gestured to his head of the Orkin, and Rathia's eyes narrowed as he recognized the hand grip of the Orkin hand cannon sticking out of the hip of the Orkin. Um, we come to find our people, Rathia said. We seek passage through the city ruins. There is only death there. The Orkin whizzed. Leave this cursed land now. Wait, wait! Her voice cried out from the carriage, and the land dragons pulling the carriage came to a halt with a wheezing coughs. A middle-aged man in his tailored clothes hung from his lanky flame quickly exited the carriage. Wait, I can offer you twice times what he's offering to pay. Rathia glanced at Tyria, who gave a shrug and asked, Why did you think I was selling? Food, of course, the man panted as he stood next to the glowering Orkin. I can pay you twice for what he's paying you. I think you misunderstand something, Rathia put a hand on top of the man from cutting in. We did not sell anything to him, but, but... The man stammered, Then sell me all your food. I can give you a good price. Before we continued, Rathia stepped the man again. What is going on here? My name is Coombe. The man in the oversight clothing introduced himself. I used to be a merchant here, and I represent the people I speak for here. Torak, son of Drok, the Orkin saluted. We are all starving, the man explained. There is no food here, and barely any game to hunt. Even the nearby farms are bare. Then why haven't you left the area? Rathia was confused. Surely there are more places that could provide food to support the people. Are you joking? The man cried. They're in the middle of nowhere. The orc in here is what remain of their tribes. Even the nearest city is over three weeks' walk away. There is not enough food nor water for people to travel that far, the man explained. Only here there is still water for us and some form of shelter. We are too weak to make a trek to the nearest settlements. I see, Rathia frowned. Are there no traders? They either had all died or freak to come to this area anymore, the man sighed. That creature had destroyed the city and scared all the merchants away. This place is cursed, the Orkin suddenly spoke. Dead city. More guests coming, Terrier commented as the other two groups came panting. To the marines, surprised, the Orkin hissed at the approach of the group with the red banners. The group of beggars shuffled their way over to stand together with the Orkin and the merchant while the group of the Reds stood on their own side. Rathia reserved the newcomers and realized that their red stripes tied to their arms and legs were actually bandages and the red was actually dried blood. I am in run, leader of the free people here. A lanky man with sunken cheekbones spoke up. We wish to trade with you. I am Johan, leader of the pact. The youngster, strangely dressed in white robes, appeared amongst the group of red. They call me the Messiah. We welcome you. Eater of kin. The Orkin growled at the side and spat while even the two others looked uncomfortable. I do not judge nor pass judgment on your ways, Orkin. The guy with the unnaturally white robes gently replied, Do not presume your ways unto us. Okay, I think everyone has gathered. Rathia frowned. He was quite put off by the looks given to him as his men had by the red. Even the merchant and his men and the beggars appeared to be eyeing them hungrily. 
Leave this place soft skin. The Orkin spoke again, ignoring the looks from the pack. There is much evil here in Subrigia. Do not stay here. No, sell us your food before you leave, the merchant cried out. Even Bavegas nodded hurriedly. We need food. Enough. The Messiah softly gestured and Calm and Imran both halted their back off hurriedly. What is your purpose in coming all the way here? The Messiah asked in a friendly tone. Rathia suppressed a shiver as he noticed the rest of the Messiah's men that seemed to have a crazed look in their eyes. We are here to find someone, Rathia explained again. We do not need any trouble. Once we are done, we will leave this place. Oh, that is fine by me. The Messiah smiled. We welcome you, but you have to forgive us for our lack of hospitality. We are quite lacking in food and, um, other things. It's all right, Rathia gave a smile back. We're willing to share some of our supplies with you all. We will help as much as we can. That would be wonderful. The Messiah clapped his hands together cheerfully like a child, making Tyria frown and grip his sidearm. The merchant and beggar were delighted, of course, by the offers of food, and the men quickly gathered before the marines, who quickly get them into order. They waited impatiently for the marines to sort out their share of the supplies. Give them what we can spare, Rathia ordered, evenly. Even the weird red guys, what did the marines asked, they creep me out. Yes, and the Orkins too, Rathia ordered. Despite the small amount of doled out of other survivors, they thanked the marines and quickly left, afraid that their share would be stolen by another. Surprisingly to the marines, the people of the pack were not as excited as the rest as they quietly carried the crates of food away without any hints of happiness. Torak bowed deeply in appreciation at the aid given. I thank you, softskins, but I warn you again, leave this place immediately. Do not stay here long. Wait, Rathia stopped Torak as he was about to leave. What did you call that guy in white? Eater of kin. Torak repeated with a growl, Beware of that soft skin. What is an eater of kin? Rathia asked curiously. They feast on the flesh of their own kind. Torak explained as he climbed onto his wolf before leaving with his men. Did I hear that wrongly? Rathia turned to Terrier in shock. Did he say that they eat their own kind? Terrier nodded and cursed. Farking cannibals. We got farking cannibals here. The Messiah smiled as several women tied up were brought before him and nodded at his right hand, who gestured to the side of several crate supplies and the stencil stamped to the side. Property of the UN were carried out. The women struggled desperately against the bonds and screamed in gags and the pack carried them away towards the cook tents where the large cauldrons of boiling soup bubbled. Send our invitation to our new friends. The Messiah smiled. We are having a well-being dinner for them. Yes, Messiah. His right-hand man bowed deeply while crossing his arms over his shoulders in salute. Tell them we got fresh meat tonight. End of chapter. Chapter 294. An Invitation. Rathia observed the pack messenger as he stood near the entrance of the temporary campsite of the marines. The strips of filthy red cloth tied in his arms and legs and dried blood caking of both. Rathia gestured to the messenger and asked, Are you wounded? Oh, Lord, the messenger replied. This is a sign of our faith and our commitment to the pact. What is the pact? Rathia asked curiously. The pact is a vow we make to stay alive, the messenger replied. The Messiah told us how to live up and not give up. And how did the Messiah come about? Tyria asked from the side. He came to us when we were in the darkness, the messenger furbishly replied. He 
taught us how to live in this cursed land of nothingness. He gave us purpose. A purpose, Rathia queried. What kind of purpose? It is the purpose of all living things, the messenger explained. The cycle of life and death. I see, Rathia glanced at Tyria. So what has your Messiah sent you here for? Oh, the Messiah invites you to join him for a meal tonight. The messenger said, when the sun sets, the banquet will begin. You all are hereby invited. Give my thanks to the Messiah, Rathia replied uneasily. We thank him for his generosity, but we will have to decline his goodwill. You reject his invitation? The messenger's bloodshot eyes glowered. I will return to inform him of your choice. Thanks again, Rathia called after the departing back of the messenger. What was that all about? Rathia asked Tyria, who sits deep in thought. Something bad, Tyria sighed. Either we're on the menu for dinner, or they have some ritual where they want us to involuntarily be involved. They sound like a cult, Rathia frowned. Maybe, but we have no proof other than the Orkin calling them cannibals, Tyria replied. And I don't really blame them if they turn cannibalism. They are just people trying to survive in this place without starving to death. Damn, double the guards on duty and stay on full alert. Rathier explained, all personnel to be armed at all times and no one walks outside the camp alone without permission. Yes, sir, Daria acknowledged the order. It's better to be safe than sorry. The problem now is how do we get into the city ruins to check if our target is truly dead? Rathia asked, looking at the situation here, everything could be salvaged, would be dug up and desperate people here. Tyria nodded. It's a bloody mess here. Hopefully the food we gave out will buy some goodwill with the people here. I wonder how did things come about to the stage, Rathia mused. It's barely a month since we bombed the city. Yeah, I was here a month ago, Tyria shrugged. The world changes fast. Who do you think we should work with here, Rathia asked. I'm leaning towards the Orkin and the beggar dudes. I'm thinking the same too, Terrier replied. The merchant guy seemed uh, too sleazy for me to trust him without backstabbing and robbing us later. But the other three groups are all seem to be afraid of the Messiah guy, Terrier added. Something is not right here. I think we'd better call in for more supplies to be sent here, Rathia said. Can't have all these people starve to death without helping them. Terrier just nodded silently. Sir, I think we should invite the Orkin over for some talks. About what happened here? Rathia asked. Yeah, I know the Orkins are wandering nomads that could live off the land. Tyria frowned. But apparently a band of Orkins is staying here. Something isn't right. That is true, Rathia nodded. All right, send out a fully armed party and invite the Orkin chief over for some talk. And I want a small scouting party to keep an eye on the pact. Got it. Camp City of the Pact. A half-naked skinny boy bit down on a hard piece of frayed leather on the one of the pack's elders skillfully carved away from a piece of flesh of his arm. A ball collected a dripping blood and flowing down from the boy's arm. He barely fought back the pain and tears while the elder lifted the tray of flesh and thanked the messiah for chanting, We eat to live, live to be eaten. Putting the tray to one side, the elder took a roll of bandage and quickly wrapped it around the wound to cast a simple healing spell. By the time the spell took effect, the strip of cloth had dried red with the boy's blood. The boy gave it a relieved sigh, and the spell kicked in and bowed to the elder, who rubbed the boy's blood in his arm over the bony body of the boy. We eat to live, live to be eaten. We live to eat, and live to be eaten. 
After the boy left the tent, another stepped in and sat down and vacated stool and bit down on a piece of leather as the other cleaned his tools and repeated the ritual. We eat to love, love to be eaten. The messiah waved the messenger away with one hand as he sat down in spurtingly furnished tent. His smile vanished and he was alone in the tent. Damn, Hawkins! He did not expect the Orkin chief to warn these strangers. He was prepared to share the loot of the strangers with the rest that they lured into this camp. Messiah, it's done, the voice called out from outside the tent. Enter and speak. He quickly schooled his expression and watched the elders entering the tent. Messiah, the men and women bowed before him. We have harvested the flesh of the followers according to your teachings. Our people shall not starve, the Messiah said. How the strangers has declined our invitation to join us for our feast. The elders grumbled in displeasure. How disrespectful of them. We offer them our precious flesh for them to partake, yet they deny our goodwill. I am sure they do not want to stress our resources. The Messiah replied calmly. We shall not judge others unreasonably. Your words shame us. The elders bowed deeply, their heads crossing their chest. Your grace shall not be forgotten. No matter, the Messiah said, we shall flesh and dine on the meat tonight. We eat to live, live to be eaten. We eat to live, live to be eaten. We eat to live and live to be eaten. Watching the departing elders, the Messiah started to make plans for the strangers. He exited his tent and saw his people preparing to cook fires and carrying huge cauldrons of soup to place amongst the center of the camp. The freshly harvested flesh was marinated with spices and whatever little herbs they managed to grow and forage on the side by the cooks. Others carried a couple of headless and skinned bodies towards the cook fires and set over the spit. Before long, the mouth-watering smell of roasted meat wafted over the camp. The Messiah smiled and nodded at his people as he watched the ongoings and preparation for the feast. He felt his tummy growling at the scent of the roasted meat and remembered how he had once had starved. The pact was started when he realized that no one would save them except for themselves. The gods were selfish and ignored the suffering of the mortals. As a slave, due to his looks and complexion, he suffered under the so-called nobles who abused him day and night. He had rejoiced when the serpent destroyed the city, and all that had mistreated him. He thought his prayers were unanswered, but the destruction spread. The serpent, with its unsatiable appetite, feasted upon the people till nothing was left. He hid under the rubble of his former master's once grand mansion in the city, together with dozens of other slaves and servants. They salvaged whatever food there was, but the strange hellfires could not be put out while they burnt everything down. In the end, he and countless others went hungry for weeks till he gave up hope on the gods. He watched his closest friend dead in his arms, and he said something that changed his life totally. Eat my flesh so that you may live. His only friend said then died from a stomach ghoul across. Do not waste my flesh. With tears in his eyes, he cut off strips of wasted flesh on his body, and he was still a warm friend. He cooked the flesh over a small fire, and when the first taste of meat hit his tongue, he felt reborn. It tasted heavenly to him after weeks of eating weeds and rare occasional cork mice. The smell of his cooking soon brought others to this campfire, and he shared the meat of the others. The people were grateful for his meat, but later they found out his meat came from their own. Some balked at the thought of cannibalism. Others looked upon him for guidance as he preached about the unfairness of this world and how the weak were prey. 
Soon, a small following of survivors joined him and created the pact, a vow to live on regardless of how. Flesh from their own bodies was sliced off to feed each other, thus allowing their survival in this cursed land. Parrots wanting the children to survive willingly offered their flesh to him, so that the children had a full belly. Over the weeks, the influence grew and so did the notoriety amongst the survivors that could not accept cannibalism. Despite the city being burnt down, there were still many useful things to be salvaged out and used. This led to multiple territory fights over the rights and salvage in the city, and soon, four factions emerged from the ruins. One of them was the pack, whom the members feared no death and were physically stronger due to having constantly supply of protein. The once powerful Orkins had most of the men decimated fighting against the serpent, and the camp was a collection of woman folk, old, young, and weak. In the end, the four factions agreed to split the city up with the pact controlling most of the city's salvage rights. The Messiah sat down, overlooking the circular grounds where hundreds of his people gathered around his cookfires, waiting for his words. All of you have heard and seen. He spoke in a hush settled over the crowd. We have new friends from afar. We have extended our friendship to them, but they denied our offers to join us here tonight. The crowd growled in anger at the slight of the Messiah. Do not feel angry, my people. The Messiah smiled. The setting sun behind his back made his glow of some kind of god. We can only help those that are willing to be helped. Now, let us feast. He rose both hands to the sky and chanted together with hundreds of hungry mouths. We eat to live, live to be eaten. We eat to live, live to be eaten. We eat to live. Live to be eaten. Hitsu, young and wolf dressed in giddy suits, had laid prone over a small rise overlooking the camp of the pact. They remained unmoving and watched the ongoings of the feast, and once in a while, the breeze carried over the tantalizing scent of roasted meat. Damn, I'm hungry. Hitsu mundled over the observed barbecue party going on. Seriously, Young supplied, you do know what they're cooking down there, right? Meat? Wolf replied curiously. Smells good. Crap. Young closed his eyes as he swallowed down the bile threatening to spew out of his mouth. Look at the center of the gather. See those two things getting barbecued? Yeah, Hitsu and Wolf both replied as they tracked the binoculars and spot the Young directed. That, my friends, is a person skinned, gutted, and quartered over a spit. End of chapter. Chapter 295 Eater of Kin. I'm feeling sick. Itsu whimpered as he laid flat on the grass. Hey, you guys, keep watch. Hey! Young jabbed Hitsu's sight, no slacking off. This is the moment the doctor likes to say, right? Hitsu sighed, a sanity check moment. I know it's bad, Young hissed, but we need to keep tabs on them. Hey, Wolf! Hitsu poked the younger soldier in the side. You alright? Wolf wiped his sides of his mouth after he vomited out the contents of his stomach. He swilled the contents of his water canteen and spat it out to the side. Damn, I lost all my appetite. Itsu sighed and poked his head up and continued to observe the ongoings of the party in the camp. The barbecue party was in full swing with the members of the pact grilling pieces of meat from trays and the grotesque meats being spit-roasted slowly over the flames. A couple of the figures were slowly turning the body over the flames, while another constantly applied some kind of sauce over the meat constantly. Um, I feel sick. It's so gagged and the smell of wolf's vomit drifted over and mixed with the aroma of the barbecue. My head hurts. Shh. 
Yang suddenly whispered urgently, Something's up. What? Hitsu and Wolf both jolted up alertly and peered over to rise the camp. A group of figures armed with flaming red bands had left the camp formed quietly. Looks like there are roughly a hundred men in that group, Yang commented. The group marched with a purpose and headed straight towards the trio's hidden observation post. Crap, did they discover us? Hitsu whispered as he readied his weapon. No, they're heading towards our base, Yang hissed. Call the base. Outpost to hotel, Wolf hurried and radioed back. Outpost to hotel, you got incoming ground forces, do you copy? Hotel, confirm hostiles approaching our location, the radio replied. Outpost, estimate 100 Tango's heading your way. Wolf peered over the rise to see the torch-bearing mob passing their hidden post. Intentions unknown, over. Hotel, roger that, base replied. Continue observation, hotel out. Shh. Young grabbed Wolf and pulled him down and lower ground. They spotted us! Turn off the radio. Wolf quickly turned the knob of his radio set, turning the volume off and he laid still on the footsteps, could be heard approaching them. Soon the glow of several torches lit the area around them as the members of the pack walked over to the investigate. Are you sure you heard something? One of the pack asked. Morris is your stomach growling. No, I'm sure I heard someone talking here. Another one cried out. I'm certain someone is here. But we don't see anything at all, a voice called out. There's nothing here. Spread out and search, the voice spoke again. Hurry up! Wolf gently eased his rifle butt into his shoulder and peeked out from his ghillie suit. He saw two members of the pack sweeping their flaming brands left and right as they tried to see their surroundings. He lowered his breathing and stayed still as possible as the two walked closer and closer to their location. You see anything? One of the men asked. It's darker than a witch's heart in here, the other commented as they stopped just a foot away from Wolf's position. Let's go, the first man said. Can't imagine anyone out here at a time like this. Wait, I need to go. The other man, other handing his torch to the other, pulled out his pants. Wait for me. Hurry it up, the other said. The rest are waiting and we have some business to settle with the strangers. The smell of ammonia soon drifted up to Wolf's and started to breathe through his mouth. Drops of urine spattered against him and he kept still, ignoring the smell and the warm, wet sensation. Un- the man shook himself and pulled his pants up. Suddenly, he paused and double-checked himself as he stared directly into the bush before him. Something about the bush felt wrong, and he felt a tingle of danger emitting from it. Hey, the man waved for his buddy to come over. There's something str- Wolf suddenly burst up from his prone position and rammed his bayonet directly into the heart, while the other hand covered the mouth. Young, at the side, leapt up almost simultaneously and grabbed the falling body to prevent it from hitting the ground and making any noise. Together, they dragged the body and rolled it down to her eyes. Crap, he spotted me, Wolf whispered. Young raised a hand to silence Wolf as they both waited for the other person's reaction. Hey, Ruism! The man called out from his missing friend. Where did you go? He peered into the darkness and swung both torches left and right, trying to find a friend who had suddenly gone missing. Just as he was about to shout, a shadow pranced upon him, an eight-inch blade slipped into his heart. Hitsu grabbed the suddenly limp body before it hit the ground and gently laid it down on the grass. Kill the lights, he whispered urgently to Young as he gestured in the darkness for Wolf to help him with the body. Hitsu and Wolf carried the body and set it down next to the body while Young doused the torch. Crap, what now? Wolf asked and rinsed his arm where the splashed of urine. I don't think they know anything yet, Hitsu replied as he looked over the rise. Yep, 
They're moving on. I think they missed them. I don't think that they're able to keep track of everyone in such a big group in the dark. We need to move the bodies somewhere and relocate, Young said. Can't risk finding us now, especially with two of their dead with us and blood watch attract one wanted attention. Well, at least there's two lesser cannibals here, Wolf grinned, as he helped carry one of the bodies away. I wonder what they're up to. Camp Hotel! Halt! The Marine sentry yelled out at the approaching torch-wielding group. What is your purpose here? We're here to invite your lords to our feast. One of the torch-wielding men stepped forward. I am Samu, one of the elders of the pact. Wait here, the sentry said before he stepped back and radioed the report to the command vehicle. Samu eyed half a dozen visible sentries under the glow of the torches and frowned at the defenses. An earthen wall taller than a person had sprung up around the campsite and seemed to have been built with magic. At certain points of the wall, Samu could see the silhouette of a sentry standing watch illuminated by the unnatural glow that wasn't made by fire. Silently, he cursed, wondering if he could succeed in luring this group of people out of their camp and into their trap. These strangers seemed to wield strong magic if they were able to construct a wall around the camp in less than a day. He has to be careful with them. Not long later, the sentry spoke. Sir, my officer is on the way to speak with you. Samu gave the friendliest smile and tried to make small talk with the guards, hoping to glean some information about their origins, but to his fury, the guards ignored his questions and only responded by telling him he had to direct his questions to their officer. Frustrated, he retreated back to his men and glowered at the guards, while they mentally were thinking what the recipe to use on them. Rathia appeared at the main gate and waved away the salutes of the sentries. You're looking for me? He addressed the leader of the group. I am Samu, elder of the pact. Samu crossed his arms over his chest and bowed. I would like to extend an invitation to you and your men to join us at our feast. Rathia frowned. Your messenger came earlier today, and I've told him to inform your messiah that we are thankful for the invitation, but we have prior matters to attend to, hence we could only thank your messiah for his generous offer. Lord Rathia, Samu stepped forward and lowered his voice. The truth is that the messiah wishes to speak privately to you regarding the matters of this area. If that's so, why the pretense? Rathia folded his arms together. Why all the secrecy? As you have seen, Samu explained, there are three other factions here that are not included in the pack. With the limited resources here, we have to ensure that we are one step ahead of the others to ensure the survival of our people that we have sworn to protect. That sounds noble, Rathia's eyes narrowed, but why should I listen to someone who eats the flesh of his own people? Samu stepped back in surprise, but he quickly recovered. Is that what the Orkin? How would you trust a word of a slaver? Well, so far all the Orkin I know are quite honorable, Rathia snapped, and I have my sources. I don't need an Orkin to tell me what I need to know. You'd rather side with Orkins than with your own race? Samu hissed in anger. Traitors! I would rather stand with Orkins than join you in cannibalism, Rathia roared. I give you a chance now to leave. Traitors! Samu screamed, his bloodshot eyes bulging out. Selfish gums! The members of the pack suddenly surged forward, following the screams of their elder, brandishing their flaming torches and crude weapons aggressively, and chanting loudly, We eat to love, love to be eaten. Rathia stepped back while drawing his service revolver out. Men, make ready. <sighs> the marines roared aggressively back at the mob while shouldering their weapons. For a moment, both sides stared at each other in an intense standoff, when suddenly an orkin appeared from the marines' camp. Traitor to the people! 
Samu screamed again and with the Orkin appeared behind Rothia. You signed in with the Orkins. You must die. The mob charged forward, screaming for blood as Samu screamed for them to attack. We live to eat, live to be eaten. Fire! Rathia roared out to the side, charged forward, and almost instantly, he was nearly deafened by the thunderous barks of the marines' rifles. Rickers of muzzles flashed and bullets' traces stubbed into the night, and frenzied mob of bodies fell. Rathia squeezed his revolver almost point-blank at Samu, who toppled down on his knees with a surprised expression as he cupped his chest wound before he bled out. Not a single member of the pack retreated despite the devastating barrage of rifle fire. They screamed wildly and charged into the rifle fire and died where they fell. Cease fire! Cease fire! Rothia yelled, and the gunfire died down to be replaced with whimpers and cries of pain of the dying. Check the bodies! Your weapons! Very powerful! Torek, chief of the Orkins, said, much powerful than ours. Rothia glanced at the unfired hand cannon in Torek's hand and nodded. Of course, it was after all one of our own traitors who made then sold that weak copy to you all. Torek looked at his own firearm and sighed before sticking it back into his waistband. With weapons as powerful as yours, yet the world is in your hands. Torek crouched down next to the body of the pack leader and closed his eyes. He whispered an orkin prayer for the elder soul before he stood up and faced Rathia. Your promise? Torek asked seriously. Will you truly honor it? Of course, Rathia nodded. You have my word and the word of a nation. We, Orkin, are willing to serve your, uh, United Nations, if you promise to save my people. End of chapter. Chapter 296. The night is still young. The Messiah swallowed the greasy strip of grilled meat offered to him with relish. He watched as a squirming female had been gagged to a rock stab being carved up by the elders and grilling the meat over the fire like a live barbecue station. Some of his people were dancing and singing as the musical instruments either salvaged or handcrafted. He smiled at the scene, totally oblivious to the suffering and dying female before him. Suddenly, continuous thunder could be heard rumbling away in the distance. He frowned as he was pretty sure the skies were clear earlier in the evening. He ignored the storm as the female's members of the pact invited him to dance with them. Just as he was enjoying himself, his men suddenly appeared beside him and whispered the news to his people getting massacred by the strangers. He stopped his revelry and stormed off towards the tent with his men in tow. What exactly happened? He asked as he entered the tent. Elder Samu left with a cadre and invited the straighters for our feast, the man reported. He wanted to trap them here with all of our people, but somehow they failed and battle started. How many people did Samu bring along? The Messiah was surprised to turn of events. Over a hundred, the messenger said. None returned. Over a hundred of our people, the Messiah stood up and shouted in anger. All dead. Yes, Messiah, the man replied. The strangers appeared to either have a help of the Orkins or their thunder smoke weapons as they possessed similar weapons. What? The Messiah paced back around the tent in his mind processing the news. Those savages! Since they forced our hand, the Messiah expression darkened. Send word to the other two factions. Tell them to attack the Orkin, and I will cede them control of the water point each. His pact had controlled all the usable wells for most of the region of the ruins. All parties must pay him warm bodies, and most of the time they demanded youngsters as their flesh was more tender. Oh, burn and feast on the Orkins, my children. Destroy them all.
Gorok, chieftain of the Wolfmasters clan, was after the demise of his father, now the leader of all remaining Orkin clans, sat on the barricade made out of earth filled with sacks and watched the strangers sort out the bodies of the pact. He came alone under the invitation of these, uh, Marines, as they had called themselves. The leader of the small but powerful force had inquired about the events that had happened here. Seeing no point to conceal anything, Turok had explained how his clansmen fought against the great evil, and in return, the majority of their forces had been decimated. Less than a tenth of the warriors survived, while almost every shaman had burnt up their life force to fight against the great evil. Even all the ancestral warriors were defeated by the great evil in the end. If Torak had been not been ordered to return forces to scatter, he had no doubts that there would be any survivors against the great evil. What remained of the Orkins' major clans were a bunch of young, old and weak, while the other lesser clans and tribes were scattered all over the plains. They had banded together under the suggestion of Turok, who managed to survive the battle. Now, the head chieftain of all the remaining Orkin clans, he was placed in a position of great responsibility that he once craved for. But he realized with such a great responsibility, every action and order he made could lead to the deaths of hundreds of his remaining kinsmen. While the scarce amounts of resources in the area and the majority of the creatures being frightened off by the great battle that had occurred here, his people struggled to survive this cursed land. They were better off compared to the softskins as they knew the ways of the plains. He wanted his people to head off to better grounds, but the travel would kill many of the young, weak, and old. He did not have the heart to abandon the weak and old, even when they volunteered to do so for the greater good of the Orkins. In the end, he and his people stayed on, making the best use of their skills to hunt for food and gather water while defending an easy truce with the hostile pact and the ex-slaves. He was grateful for these strangers who gave him people some of their supplies of food, despite of barely able to feed all these people for a day or two. When Rathia, the leader of the Marines, offered him an option of salvation for his people, he was worried that it might be a trap for these Marines of the United Nations. But after the power of their weaponry inside his heart, he knew he found the answer to his race's survival and he pledged his service to them in exchange for saving his people. Suddenly, a wind wolf bearing a rider rode up to the gate and guard stopped him rider. Halt! State your business. Me bear critical news for chief. The young Orkin rider panted as he hopped down from the back of the wolf. Need to see chief at once. Much importance. I'm here, Torak walked up quickly. What urgent news do you bear? The pact and the other factions. The message bearer cried out. They're attacking us. Torak jerked his head up and turned to look towards the direction of his people. He vaguely could hear some rumbling of thunder, but he wasn't paying much attention to it before his face paled. We need to return at once. Wait here. Torak turned to find Rathia directing his men to one corner. Lord Rathia, I must leave at once. My people are under attack by the pack. What? Rathia paused at his work and looked at Torak in surprise. Can you people hold them off? If it is just the pact, Torak nodded. Yes, but if the other two groups join forces with the pact, maybe yes, maybe no. I'll send some men to help you then. Rathia quickly made a decision. But your men... Doric eyed the small number of troops in the camp. Don't worry about them, Rathia gestured to his aide at his side. We're all allies, after all, and we don't leave our allies behind. Orkin Camp A mighty flash stabbed out in the darkness, followed by a large, dirty cloud of smutty smoke. The surprised face of the charging elf was lit up momentarily. 
his expression showing shock and pain as a bullet of a large caliber hand cannon of the Orkin slammed into the elf, sending him flying back with a large hole in his body. As if firing the hand cannon was a beacon, dozens of fist-sized rabble were thrown at muzzle flash hammering at the Orkin who fired. He yelped in pain and he was peppered with dozens of stone flung from the mob besieging his camp. The Orkin fell back behind the wooden stockades under the heavy rock barrage, while the other Orkins bearing shields came up to help shelter the brethren. This method of attack continued on, and the Orkin defenders, barely a hundred strong, couldn't stop the flow of owls rushing up the wooden walls and hacking away with fanning axes. Soon, breaches along the wall appeared, and the massive owls cheered wildly as they rushed into the camp. The Orkins tried to stop the attackers and bravely countered charged with the thick of the mob, their heavy, meany weapons sending body parts and blood flying into the night air. Kill! 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 The mob screamed for blood of the Orkins, while the Orkins gave ground slowly and steadily, reaping a great price against the attackers for each foot ground given up. Blood-stained and grasslands as the people vented all their frustrations, fear and hatred onto the Orkins. One Orkin swinging a great axe in the middle of the mob had a rock slammed into his left eye, stunning him for a second. It gave an opening for the mob as they surged up with crude blades and sharpened sticks, dabbing at the bellowing Orkin till he disappeared under a crowd and someone hacked his head off and leapt into a pile of logs, waving the grisly trophy for everyone to see. The mob, feeling empowered, screamed in ecstasy at the sight of the Orkin head and pushed hard against the defenders. Kill! 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 Pressed from all sides, the remnants of the Orkin fell back to the young and old. The Orkin young and the woman folk piled crates and any objects they could get their hands on and created a barely adequate ring of barriers between them and the surging mob. Surrounded by a ring of crazed, bloodlust mob who constantly pelted the defenders with stones gathered from the surroundings, the remaining Orkin warriors bravely weathered the missiles to protect their families. Suddenly, the mob parted and a person in white robes flanked by members of the pact in red appeared and a hush fell upon the mob. My friends, we now stand at a point in history where we will be remembered by all. The Messiah's mellow voice spoke clearly and loudly for everyone to hear. Those further at the rear had his words repeated to a person in front of them. These vile organs have tormented us for years, treating us like animals and to be whipped and beaten upon their whims. Now we cast off the yoke of their tyranny and reclaim our pride as a people of the land. His voice rose higher. Today, we regain our freedom from the chains of the organ tyranny. Kill, kill, kill. The mob chanted as one as they stepped forward with each chant of kill. The Messiah smiled under the glow of the burning brands howled by the mob around him and ordered, Kill them, burn them, destroy them, for the people, for our freedom. Kill, kill, kill. The people, filled with bloodlust, charged forward and screamed wildly as they ripped crudely built barricades down with their bare hands, ignoring the hacks and slashes of the defenders. Kill! 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 The messiah, just smile, became wider as he watched the people hold themselves with care at the Orkins, dragging any unfortunate Orkin out from their flimsy ring of defense, where the mob tore the unfortunate Orkin up. He suddenly frowned as he felt a shift in the tension in the air. 
He turned his head to one side where a different kind of scream sounded, and the mob suddenly paused in their attacks as they turned their attention to the calls. The sudden, thunderous roar erupted from the side of the screams intensified. Panic appeared to spread like ripples on the side of the mob pushed away from the source, revealing a pair of monstrous glowing eyes that appeared lit up the entire area. Dozens and dozens of broken bodies lay before the pair of eyes that blinded anyone looking directly at it. Suddenly, something growled and rumbled as more pairs of glowing eyes appeared from the dark as they all eyed the frightened mob. The mob screamed as they saw more monsters appearing from the dark and broke. They dropped whatever they were holding and scrambled away from the monsters in fear. All thoughts of murder instantly gone. The messiah's eyes widened as he stared at the monster glowing in from the darkness. He shivered excitedly as he felt his manhood hardened as he stared back at the blinding lights. He spread his arms wide out into welcome and laughed madly. Just as the thunderous roars and flickers of fiery darts burst from the heads of the monsters, chasing the running mob and lighting up the entire area. Live to eat. Live to be eaten. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please consider supporting the author from the link down below. Otherwise, if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways to do so like liking, subscribing, and possibly even becoming a patron. Otherwise, the easiest way would be to share. And until the next video, I hope that you all have a good one, and I'll see you then. Cheers.